We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Computer, this is Data. I'm an android. I'm a... basketball? I was processing all of the information. Processing. It's one of those idiots who believe in analytics. Rangers speak basketball? Analytics was crap. Does not compute. Just because you got good stats doesn't mean you're a good team. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Lakers Exceptionalism Podcast. It is Monday. I am your host for the day, Tim. You know me as Cranjus McBasketball on Twitter. And the Lakers have beaten the Houston Rockets in Houston 134 to 109. The Lakers are now up to having won six of their past seven games. This looks like a new team. It is a new team. The scheme is peaking, the coaching has been good. The Lakers were in control of this game for four quarters, and frankly, it was the most relaxing Lakers game. I've watched in a long time. We were in there on playback, breaking it down and having a good time. Join us there if you haven't already. It's a good game. We got some good performances. I will note D'Lo did not play the second half. He left the game due to a precautionary foot issue. He should be fine. From what I understand, that was he could have played if he needed to. That was just a, hey, we're, we're in control. Let's not, you know, if, if you're not feeling 100%, you can sit. That's fine. LA adjusted the rotation. They were okay. AD was absolutely dominant. Uh, this was one of those dominant AD games that had people just typing dad in the playback chat every time he did something good. Um, he was all over the place. Offensively, was dominant, and the Lakers did a good job getting him involved. Tons of post-ups. He was doing really good work pre-catch getting deep post positioning. He was doing this in transition. He was doing this after free throws. He was doing this in half-court situations. Really good game from him from a post-position standpoint. Made good decisions there. Uh, the Lakers did a good job with set plays, getting him involved, getting him to catch on the move with some of those wide pin-down screens. Really liked it. He had a 40-point game. 
definitely could have done more damage. He only played 30 minutes, and even that was probably a bit much. We in the fourth quarter were like, why is, why is AD still in here? You can get him out. So 40 points could have been more. Really solid performance from Anthony Davis. He is dominant. Now that this team has more than like one way to get him involved and they play call based on they call plays based on what's working and they've got adjustments and counters when teams try to take different things away. AD's dominant. When when you run those wide pin down screens for him where a shooter, let's say Malik Beasley is setting the screen, if you try to top block it, he back cuts and it's a lob. And the Lakers have done that twice this season against Dallas and against OKC. If you try to go under the screen, he, AD, can either fade off of it and shoot the three, which isn't ideal for us, or we've seen him then kind of set the screen for Beasley's man, and then Beasley will pop out to the corner and get a three, and that's been good offense. If you trail around him and don't get in his way with the the guard defender, for like Beasley's defender, he could just curl, catch, and finish at the rim easily. If you try to bump him with Beasley's man and you trail over, you know, he can wait for that guy to clear out of the way, still catch, and then maybe he has a layup or a dunk, maybe not. If he doesn't, he's in the middle of the court and has good post positioning, and he's got one guy in one corner, one guy in another corner, one guy at one wing, one at the top of the key, and it's it's easier for him to read where help might be coming from and exploit it with passing. So it's just a, it's a tough situation. It's something you want to avoid as a defense. So that's great offense. Uh, or if you are... You know, you have both of those players focusing on AD. The, the shooter, again, can pop out to the, the wing, catch and shoot and hit a three. And we've seen that happen. So the Lakers have, you know, you go over, you go under, you try to bump him, you let him go. If you switch, great. We've got a post player in the middle of the floor against a guard. Like, lots of good options. Similar, and, and this was pointed out to me, Frank Vogel ran pin downs. This isn't a new thing. This is not a new concept. But the way in which they call those plays based on how defenses guard it and how they change their approach based on how defenses are guarding it, that's what that's where the value is. If you look at the 30 teams in the NBA, most of them run the same types of actions making up their set plays. It's the combinations of actions within sets that adds value. It's the play calling tendencies from a frequency standpoint and from a you know rock, paper, scissors match standpoint, the chess match standpoint. That's where the true value can be added in addition to fitting those actions together and fitting those puzzle pieces together to make the best picture. Like there's plenty of room to, to differentiate, but we've seen AD come off pin downs before. We're seeing him more dominant coming off of pin downs because the coaching staff has this series of plays built out well. I'm very pleased to see it. It's been a good change. So they've got that rolling. They've got him posting up and he's got size advantages. So he's getting deep post position. He's being aggressive, running in transition, when he's got the jumper going, he's he's a top five player in the NBA. When he doesn't have the, the jumper going, he's a top 10 player in the NBA. And that is fantastic to have game in and game out. Super productive game from him. LeBron James had a triple-double, played 29 minutes, didn't have a great game from a shooting standpoint. He's had a couple of those, and the team has been able to win regardless. Let me actually take a look. Yeah, eight for 18, one for seven from three. 7 for 11 on, on two-pointers. So LeBron was able to score in the mid-range, score at the rim. It was those threes, that the, the three-point jumper that wasn't falling for him, but he still has decent gravity and, you know, solid game. Could have been better, but it speaks to how good this team is that LeBron can have a couple bad games in a row from a scoring, from a shooting standpoint, and it 
the offense can still be really good. And now let's talk about Rui Hachimura. 20 points. Really strong performance. Defensively, he had three blocks. He had a couple deflections. He had a fourth block that was, wasn't was a block, and they, they took it back in the game. If you look on the replay, you can see the player just lost the ball going up. He didn't actually touch it. Uh, Rui didn't touch it. But defensively, I've seen him get a bunch of praise. So I went back and I rewatched every second of his defensive film, and he was good. I don't want to be hyperbolic. It wasn't extraordinary. It wasn't fantastic. It was a good defensive game. There were certain things he didn't do great. There were other things he did really well. I want to dig into that more granularly. But first, let's talk about the scoring. So 20 points for him. His first, uh, not his first, but his latest point breakout game. These, you know, his point volume, it's going to fluctuate. That is normal for a role player. He is someone that's not consistently getting pick and roll ball handler possessions. He's not someone the team is consistently running off screen plays for like they do with Malik Beasley. He's not someone that they're consistently posting up. He's not someone that is consistently isolating so without those play creator actions, he's a finisher. And that's good. That's fine. That's where he fits with his team. But that means that his volume game to game from game to game from an opportunity standpoint will fluctuate. So don't get upset about it. That's that's what it is. And he realizes that and he's leaned more to the defensive end and he's talked to the coaching staff and they've challenged him and asked him to step it up. And he's done a really good job on that end. Um Another part of the 20 points he got today or yesterday, he had eight of those in transition. He had seven transition points the prior eight games combined. So this is a, in a way, it's like a fluky, like I don't, I don't look at these 20 and say, yeah, we can expect 18, 20, 21, 22, the next couple games. No, he, he had like 12 half court points and then he had a breakout, you know, fluky game in transition, a good game, a game you want, but the volume and opportunity in transition is not a, something that we can bet on for being reliable. We saw in this game a lot of plays where the Lakers went like long touchdown passes, basically. And that's not the norm. So temper expectations from the scoring a little bit, but Rui's been solid. He's been a real solid post-up player. He's been a solid transition player. He's been a solid spot-up player. When they have mismatches for him to go at, he'll post them up. When he, you're, you know, driving and kicking he's been hitting some of those threes and then also he's been really solid from the mid-range area and that is something that really adds a floor to every half court possession he's on the floor four when the shot clock's at seven and you ran your play and your play didn't work and lebron's on the bench maybe 80s on the bench too and you just need something to happen if you kick it out to Rui, or you kick it out to Rui with just a little bit of an advantage he's able to get to his spots and he's able to get shots off and, and create space. And the full, like they're not the highest efficiency shots. They're not the shots that you want to have as the first attack on offense. But they are great to have as your last attack on offense if you're not able to generate the advantages like you were hoping to with your other attacks. A Rui mid-range jumper as a bailout shot raises the floor for a half-court possession so much more than just like somebody chucking something up. So that's really valuable to have. It's made him an even more valuable role player in the starting unit, in the bench unit, and that's been really solid. So now let's talk about his defense. He had three block shots. He had real so solid rim protection. There were a number of times, both in transition and in half-court situations, rotating over as a rim protector, where he got vertical contested at the rim, did not foul. 
he has a big enough body that he wasn't like you you run into him and if he doesn't foul you you're not you're not move well if he doesn't foul you good but then also you're not moving him some guys you jump you get contact and they just kind of fall out of the way it's like when you're going through drills in practice and, and the coach just kind of you know whacks you with one of the the pads you know it, there's some contact but you're able to then basically finish you know unimpeded when you run into Rui, Rui doesn't move. <laughs> and so you're taking shots from further out. You're taking shots over a contest, a legal contest. He's got some length. And it's been really disruptive. And it's not just a... So it's not that he just started to being good as a rim protector recently. This is something he was doing all year. This is something we talked about him bringing to the table when the Lakers traded for him. Pre-All-Star break, he had 132 shots at the rim defended. 35.8% of the shots he contested pre-All-Star break were at the rim. That number is now 36.4. So about the same percentage. It's not like his role has drastically changed. Um, he was at 8.3% disruption uh, where opponents were shooting 8.3% worse at the rim when he was contesting them than expected. This is based on second spectrum data. Now, post-All-Star break, and I'm just doing pre and post to make it nice and easy to cut between Washington and the Lakers. I understand there were a couple games with the Lakers prior to the break. Post-All-Star break, 44 shots at the rim uh, defended, 9.1% disruption. So slightly better, same ballpark with the the volume accounted for. I'd say it's about the same. Um, But he, the past five games, on a small sample, has been (laughs) real dang good at the rim. Again, just about 36% of his shots defended there. So same usage, same role, same opportunity. But his disruption has been real, real good. 20%. Opponents are shooting 20.4% at the rim worse with Rui contesting them than expected. Holy crap. Like, real good. Again, tiny sample. It's He's he's done a real good job. He said he's been watching a lot of film, learning from AD on how to improve his defense. He's been working with the coaching staff. They have challenged him to lean more into his defense. And he has stepped up to the plate. And I think that that speaks well to him understanding his fit on the team role-wise on both ends, and then also what his value is to the to the team. There will be guys where it's, you know, hey, you're a shooter. And we see, when we see Darvin Ham during these in-game mic'd up moments, it's, man, those are the shots we want you taking. He's, he's telling Lonnie or he's telling Malik or whoever, we want you taking those shots. For Rui, I bet they're, you know, in his ear, hey, man, like, that's you. Like, this is, you know, this is impactful basketball. That's winning basketball and crediting him, encouraging him. But they're also holding him accountable for stepping up in that area because that has been a big element that he has brought to the table that the Lakers didn't quite have before they were getting him. And it was a positional balance thing. It was this team is not constructed well to be good with rim protection if it's not with AD. And so let's take a look at some of the numbers on what the Lakers had pre-trades for rim protection. I'm just looking pre-All-Star break. Obviously, AD contesting a lot, contesting well. Thomas Bryant, opponents were shooting 4.4% better than expected when he was defending them. That's like an insanely horrendous number for a center. Really, really poor. He's been bad at that for years, but really, really poor. Um, LeBron, 4.3% disruption. It's fine. It's good for a secondary protector uh, against Pat Beverly, against Troy Brown, who are both frequently secondary rim protectors. They don't have the size. Some of like... 6% better against Beth, about 5% better against Brown. And that's not adequate rim protection. And yes, I know Rui was traded for Kendrick Nunn. 
but there were a lot of trades made around that same time. And I would, rather than comparing him to Kendrick Dunn, it's apples to oranges. They play different roles. They have different value. Compare him to the guys in this role prior to him being on the team. Troy Brown, he's playing better now. He's been a much better defender post-All-Star break, post-trades, because he's in a role that makes way more sense for him. Rui is much, a much better fit but given his size, his length, his his like girth, his weight, his ability to hold his ground as a post defender, as a rim protector, and that is showing up. And now instead of Troy Brown being a real small, like at, at points in time, he was a four man. Uh, there were a lot of minutes where he was at the three. Now he's able to be like a two three instead of a three four. And that's been valuable from a defensive standpoint. And so just want to shout out, like Rui's been good. He's been real dang good recently, but this is what he was bringing and we're seeing it materialize. So I'm happy to see he's doing the work. He's leaning into the film. The coaching staff is pushing him. They're holding him accountable, but they're challenging him in a positive, encouraging way. We'll see what that, you know, 20% disruption looks like over a larger sample. Wouldn't be surprised if it's like, hey, instead of him being at eight or nine percent, he's at like twelve percent. That would be incredible. That'd be fantastic. If he's at twenty percent, that would be insane to me, frankly. Like on a real sample, that that's bananas. Those, those numbers don't happen. So if he can be at like double digit disruption, that would be inc- like absolutely incredible. He'd be one of the best secondary protectors for his size in the NBA. So we'll keep an eye on that. Want to shout out the recent performance. But I also want to shout out some other things I thought he did really well in this game. He, when the Lakers were switching, and they were switching a bit in this game, he did a good job keeping inside position on switches. And him guarding an even bigger man, he was able to hold his own at times. I thought his box-out tendencies were real strong. This was the most impressive thing to me. And this is something that I remember in college, running our analytics, I would be grinding film and tracking box out rates for our players. And this was something that we found was very elastic to coaching. And what I mean by that is if you decide to focus on it and tell players about it and hold them accountable for it, it will go up. If you say, yeah, we got a box out, but you're not holding anyone accountable. And what I mean by that is walking up to someone and saying, hey, Braun, you boxed out 25% of the time of, of, of the opportunities to box out. That's too low. Our goal is 50% or our goal is 60% or whatever it is. That's too low. And holding him accountable from a minute standpoint, hey, with LeBron, it's a, you know, more of a challenge than with some of these role players. But if you can go to Rue and say, hey, buddy, we need you to step up in this way, that is something that I would expect him to be able to step up in. If you're a coach listening if you have the time or you have the the you know support staff to be able to track this stuff, track it. And when I say box, like a successful box out to me does not always mean get a body on a body. If Rui Hachimura is guarding a weak side corner player and a shot goes up, here's what I want to see from him. I want Once the shot goes up, he needs to look at his man. If his man is running back towards half court, I don't need you to go chase him and try to box him out. If you look and they're retreating, that's good enough for me. And then turn around and try to get the ball or maybe run in transition. If you are if you look and your man is crashing, then you need to get a body on him. If you don't look, regardless of if they crash or not, that's not good. If you do look, they're crashing and you don't do your job from there, that's not good. But we saw a lot of plays of Rui looking, 
checking the box or looking, his man's crashing, and then putting a body on him. There were times where Rui's back was to the basket because he was running from the block to like, uh, maybe more from like the restricted area to the sh- like short corner, specifically to go put a body on Shangun and really put a body on him. Re- you you want to hit him. You really want to get in there, you know, use some force, displace them in a legal way. This is the, the legal physicality within basketball around the post. And that allows him, as a guy who has a real good center of gravity, he's got good weight to him, to be able to box out bigger, stronger players. And this wasn't probably the, the best game to showcase that, but he did a real good, like against these guys, against Houston, dang, he held his own. And so I want to shout that out. I thought he did a really good job there. He, when he was hedging, because the, the Lakers were hedging a bit in this game with soft hedges, hard hedges, I saw maybe a trap or two. He did a really good job containing and then recovering. So I thought that was good. His mobility was good. Sometimes you see these guys, they can contain for a second. And then if you try to go around the corner, they're gone. They, you know, they just can't. Or they contain and then the recovery is super slow. And you're giving up an extended 4v3 off ball. He contained, stayed in front, and then, you know, worked his ass back to his man and was able to completely, you know, negate any advantage the offense would have had. That's the execution. Those are the little real basketball things that I want to shout out. If the understanding of Rui's defense being good or bad is how many blocks, deflections, and steals he has, you're going to miss 80% of what he's doing and what he's doing well or what he's doing poorly. So again, boxing out was good. Fighting on switches was good. In hedging, he was good. When he was not the guy hedging, but he was on the back end as a rotator, he did a real good job. He was tagging roll men. He was, when there was a drive and he was the, the low man on the weak side, he rotated over to what we'd call trap the box and defend the rim. When one of his teammates did that and their man was now open, he would sink down and help the helper. When there was a trap the box and there was a sink and then we needed someone to fill on the weak side and zone up two players, he was doing that too. So like checking every box this game, I'm not going to, I did not watch every second of defensive film he played two, three, four games ago. This game, absolutely really good rotating. And, and to be honest, the, and I'll talk about this in a sec, schematically, this is, this is a newer thing for the Lakers. So there wasn't this sort of opportunity in the past. And that's why it's been somewhat of an unknown for some of these players. And it's been a weakness for some others, which has kept the team away from running certain defensive schemes from my perspective. But we saw him rotate really well. There was one, uh, what was it? One trap the box rotation he was late on. It was also the same play he had a highlight block on. For 80% of that, I'm like, ah, crap, Rui, you blew it. And then it was like, oh, holy crap. Like, what a rotation. Like, ideally, I want him rotating earlier and, you know, fully in front of the rim and then able to get verticality and, and, you know, defend the shot. Maybe block the shot. If you're going to be late, having the ability to rotate over and block a shot without fouling is the next best thing. So, you know, highlight play, A+, rotational tendencies, eh, not quite an A+, but being able to have that in the situations where you aren't sharp with your rotations, which will happen, it'll happen at times, that's really nice to have. So really want to shout those things out. In his 1v1 play, he was burned several times. Um, he did a, a fairly good job defending spot ups and contested pulp mid-rangers as well. Shangun put him in a spin cycle a couple times. He was burned, I think, twice for N1s. 
Um, but eh, some mixed results there. That's a tough matchup. Shangun has real good footwork as a post player, but rotationally, switching, boxing out, all of those things, he did a very good job. Rim protection, very good. So a real solid, I'll, I'll, I'll revise my earlier statement. This was a very solid defensive game for Rui Hachimura. The only thing potentially missing was like him defending in the post against an on-ball player a number of times or defending, you know, wing isolations or guard isolations and suppressing them or disrupting them. Not as much of that, but for what he was challenged with, he did a real good job. There were also plenty of plays he just stood in the corner. Um, (laughs) And and that was his job. That's all he needed to do. So among the times he did need to show us something, he did a pretty good job with that. And on the topic of Rui, I want to bring up Jared Vanderbilt. I've seen dialogue around, and and I've seen the data. I look at the data. The on-off data showing the Lakers' defensive success with Rui on the court versus Vanderbilt on the court. Again, like post-trades, post-all-star break. Favors Rui, and it looks like Vanderbilt, when playing, has made the Lakers' defense worse. And that's I've led I've seen that lead people to say, all right, well, you know, Vander shouldn't Vander shouldn't play anymore, or he shouldn't start, or you need to dig deeper. We got to dig deeper when you're seeing like small sample on off data, and you're trying to draw broad conclusions about playing time as a result of it. You got to dig deeper. Remember my tweets. For, hey, if Vando's being used as a four on defense, you're doing it wrong. Lakers have been doing it wrong. With LeBron out, Vanderbilt was put into a position that isn't the best way to use him. He wasn't at the point of attack. He wasn't a wing stopper. He was like a helper. He was like a mobile big at times. And that's not the way to use him. We know that's not the way to use him. If you're if you're new to this pod, go back and listen to some, some of those other ones. But if you've been listening, you know that's not the best way to leverage the upside he can provide. And he's also not built the best to play as a as like a, a you know banging it banging four on the inside. He's not as good of a rim protector as Rui. He's not as uh, big. He's not able to hold his ground as well. He's not rebounding anywhere near as well. And for those reasons, with Braun out, the Lakers' defense was worse with Vanderbilt on the court than it was with Rui, based on how he was being utilized. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. In the games he's been utilized correctly, he's been real darn good defensively. And we don't see him hurt the Lakers' defense. He is vulnerable tactically, We talked about it, as we've talked about in the past, on offense— for, hey, based on what the other team's doing, if you're not on your game schematically, he could be a problem. However, the Lakers have been very on their game schematically. 
And that's mitigate the potential negative impact he has on offense. There's still times he's spotting up too much. There's still times he's needing to take threes. Thankfully, he's been hitting them fairly well recently. But on defense, if he's not a positive, you're doing something wrong as a team. Rotationally, lineup-wise, positionally, role-wise, he's he wasn't in the right positions. And this is similar to like Troy Brown earlier in the season being in that Rui role and and like playing more as like a 3-4 than a than a 3-2 or a 2-3. Um so we've seen this. This is I mean the the Brown thing. That's why I was like, "Hey, maybe JTA should get some time. Brown's threes aren't falling. JTA, I know his threes aren't really falling. And he doesn't take a lot of them, but like he hasn't played with LeBron. He could probably get higher shot quality. His defense has been much much better. Like that was the pitch then. It's a fit thing. It's not I think this guy's better than that guy. And that's kind of what it's been with this. So now that LeBron's back, I don't think you should be applying conclusions about Vanderbilt versus Rui playing time based on data with Vanderbilt in the wrong role previously. And with Vanderbilt being miscast, that helps Rui's on-off data as well. Like there's, you know, there's, there's a reason those things are happening. So understand the current situation and apply the current, you know, uh, look at the current situation and then make decisions. Don't say, oh, well, if, you know, this guy were in the wrong role, we shouldn't play him. Well, he's not in the wrong role anymore. So that clears things up a little bit. Wanted to point that out because I think that was a, you know, you need to dig a little bit deeper situation. So we talked about Rui. We talked about AD. We talked about LeBron, D'Lo a little bit. Let's talk about the Lakers schematically in this game, coaching-wise. We saw them experiment. We saw them we get reps in and work on stuff. Defensively, we saw some 2-3 zone in the second half. We saw switching. We saw drop. We saw hedging of various uh, aggressiveness levels with rotating behind it. The Lakers, and this was for four quarters. This wasn't, hey, it's it's garbage time. Let's try stuff out. They did that on offense. They, they worked on some new sets on offense and garbage time in, in the fourth quarter. But for four quarters of this game, the Lakers were trying things on defense that weren't necessarily the best way to defend Houston. If you look at what Houston's good and bad at playing against, but they were doing this on purpose as a way to work on these things in a live environment against a real opponent so that they can see how they're doing and work on these. Because this is a playoff team. This is a team that's going to make the playoffs. And if you want to be successful in the playoffs, and I've been saying it all year long, you need to be able to do more than drop and switch. Now, within dropping and switching, you can do smart things to make the most of those from a technique standpoint, from a help standpoint. Like there are ways to manipulate those and make it more than just like, you know, every drop is the same drop. Every switching scheme, the same switching scheme. Build in the complexity that allows you to, you know, pull the right levers in the right moments. We have, we need to see that built out a little bit more, but then we also hadn't really seen the team run much hedging on the season and ask their players to need to rotate behind it every play. When you're in drop or you're switching, you're not tagging roll men. You're not sinking and filling. You're not doing those same rotations every ball screen the way you do when you're in a, when you're in a, a hedging scheme. So asking the team to work on those things is that opportunity to gauge where are we, how are we doing, and what do we need to work on? Put stuff on film so you can correct it and get better at it. If you haven't had to rotate in three months in ball screens, then you're not going to be able to like adequately say, hey, you know, you're not too good at this. Like 
let's see how we're doing today so then we can figure out the gap between where we want to be and where we are. So I like that. I think that speaks to the strength of the team. Um, when was the last time the Lakers were in a, you know, they were winningly, winning decisively the whole game. I, this was the most relaxed game I've seen in a while for, from a fan standpoint. Lakers were out there, they were trying. But from a fan standpoint, when was the last time the Lakers were winning decisively that you, you felt real good the whole time? Um, and, and on the Lakers side, they were winning decisively enough to rest key players, workshop, workshop offensive things in the fourth quarter, uh, workshop things on defense for four quarters. Like, yes, I know Houston's bad. The Lakers have played plenty of bad teams this year and not been able to do this. They played well. They're operating at a higher level. The X's and O's stuff that they're doing, the like percentage of their offense that's organized, and I haven't yet logged this game's film, but prior to this game, like seven of the last eight games, they had put up top eight performances on the season in terms of the percentage of their offense that was organized offense in the half court. They have absolutely raised the bar. They have done it at a level that is nothing like we saw earlier in the season. For most of the pre-trade Lakers, and this wasn't, and I want to address something with this in a second here, but for most of the season, the Lakers scheme was not this good. They had good play design. Their play calling was not this good. Not nearly this good. This Lakers roster within that scheme is worse than we are seeing the current team play today. Straight up, it is worse. And you know how we know it's worse? Because the team still has plenty of plays where they are freelancing and the offense is like 14% worse from, from an efficiency standpoint. It matters. All season long, running sets has been better than not running sets. Running help beaters has been better than not running help beaters. All season long. I don't care who's on the court. I don't care if LeBron's in or out, Russ is in or out, 80's in or out, D'Lo's in or out. Organized offense is better than, than pick up basketball. This shouldn't be controversial. And it's not a situation of, well, well, now the Lakers have guys that can call plays for it. No! All season long, they ran most of these same plays and they were more effective than playing pickup basketball. The ceiling's higher. The, the sets can be even more effective now when you've got a legit off-screen guy. Beasley, you've got a, a guy in ball screens that the defense has to respect as a pull three-point shooter. Like There are elements that have changed the way you can operate and they've elevated the ceiling. But... That doesn't change the fact that the organized offense has always been better than the non-organized offense. Pre-trades for like 90% of the, the five-game stretches, the organized offense was better than the non-organized offense. So I don't want to hear that as an excuse. We also saw the upward swing from a play-calling standpoint begin prior to these trades being made. The Lakers were like, for a while they were stagnant and there were maybe a couple games here or there where it was good and then it wasn't good. It was good and then it wasn't good. It was real bad and then it was average. Prior to making these trades, prior to even trading for Rui, the upward swing started. There was an awareness moment. I wish a reporter would ask about this. Hey, what was the aha moment? When did you guys realize how you needed to adjust the, the, the play calling? Because we see a very clear change the style of play for this team from a play calling standpoint is tremendously different. When did that happen? What was that moment? How did you gain that awareness? Because it has been quite the like straight line up since then, basically. Not straight, more like a 45 degree angle up. Like, whoo, real good, real good stuff. And I'm curious, like, it's not a LeBron thing. It's not a Russ thing. It's not an AD thing. It's not a, we traded for a couple guys. So now they're able to do a thing. Um, 
the, the Lakers just figured this out. They were able to get the right awareness. I don't know if they're listening to the, the podcast. Or they saw me tweet about it a million times or they just in their self-scouting saw it or their analytics team brought it up. I don't know what they track internally, but they had this level of awareness and they've made the change. So shout out to them. Want to, you know, dispel a couple, uh, you know, misinterpretations of why that Im- improvement has happened. But just say like, this is better than we've ever seen. This is better than I've ever seen a Lakers team play schematically ever, ever. And it makes their ceiling higher. And we're seeing that in the results. And we've seen this team rise from being, what, the 11 seed? They're now projected as the 7 seed at our B-Ball Index projections. This is this is how we see the rest of the season playing out. We see the Lakers projecting as 42 and 40. They have a 0.3% chance at the 4 seed. That won't happen. They have a 20.5% chance at the 5 seed. They have a 17.6% chance at the 6 seed. They actually have a higher chance at the 5 seed than the 6 seed because they have that tiebreaker over Golden State. 26.3% chance at the 7 seed, 23.8% chance at the 8 seed, 9.8% chance at the 9 seed, 1.2% chance at the 10 seed. They're not going to get the 12, 0.5% chance at the 11. Like if everything possibly went wrong, yeah, they can miss the playoffs. They have a 99.4% chance to be a top 10 seed. 61% chance to make the play-in, and of that 61%, about 11% of it is the 9-10 game, and then there's like a 50% chance they're in the 7-8 game. So the most likely outcome based on this distribution is the Lakers are in the 7-8 matchup as the 7 seed playing in LA against, I don't know, Minnesota or the Pelicans, and if they win... They play Memphis in the first round. If they lose, then they're playing the winner of, I don't know, again, it could be the Pelicans, Minnesota, I don't know, Dallas, OKC. The winner of that game also at home for a chance to play Denver in the first round. So instead of needing to be in a situation where you go two for two and potentially both games on the road, they now would only need to go one for two and both games would potentially be at home. But there's also now that about what is this about a 40% chance that they miss the play in altogether and and miss is the wrong word they avoid the play in altogether because they're a top 6 seed 38.4% chance like numbers that we have not seen all season long this is huge development the lakers have played better than so many people expected the scheme is there the personnel fits players are playing well guys have emerged hey troy brown in a real role makes sense for him hey rui hachimura in better roles makes sense for him like Real good stuff, and we, we, you know, we're here. And looking at these, the focus now should shift a bit. You still need to win. You still want to be winning. But whenever you have opportunities, if at any point you are winning by enough that you're able to work on stuff and try stuff out, go for it because you're going to need to be able to use some of these concepts in the playoffs. So don't sacrifice wins to just work on things, but. If you can build in opportunities to, you know, be working on things that you'll need in the playoffs, in a playoff environment, please do so. Now that this is more of the the outlook for the team, I will be focusing a bit more on, hey, tactically, how are we doing? Adjustments-wise, how are we doing? Because that will be increasingly important in that environment. Another thing I've seen people talk about is, do do we want to not get the five seed? Do we want to avoid playing the Suns? Do we want to play the Kings? I don't want to avoid playing anybody. 
No, like go win all of your effing games. Go get the job done. Running scared from a team is not the mindset that you have if you're the Lakers. That is not the expectation that you have if you're the Lakers. That is not how a champion operates. If the bar is as high as the Lakers say it is constantly, we want to be a title team, act like a title team. Don't don't run and hide. Don't run like what the Clippers did that what a year ago, two years ago. Like that's not how you play basketball. Go out there, win every game by as much as you can, destroy everybody if possible, and then go in and beat tough teams. You cannot go to where you want to go as the Lakers unless you go beat tough teams. And I, they're like they're in no position to to be you know trying to pick and choose exactly what seed they're in. Because there's still that downside of being in the play-in. And I'd rather play a seven-game series than be in a play-in situation and potentially miss the playoffs altogether. So go get the job done. As fans, yeah, go ahead. Root for who you want the matchup to be. The team absolutely should not. And when it comes to matchups, this will be a key topic. Same thing with the new CBA. Tom and I, we're going to do our deep dives. We are going to get all the info we can and then come back and present out on like, hey, here's who I'd rather play. Here's who I wouldn't play. Um, again, for the team, win all the games. For fans, eh, you, you know, you, you can be happy maybe if the team avoids playing a team that you you are really scared of. But that should not be the, the mindset of, of the Los Angeles Lakers. That can be, that's fan mindset. That's not Lakers, you know, professional basketball player mindset. So really happy again with a win against Houston. The Lakers on, what, Tuesday play against the Jazz, and they'll be favored in that game. They The next day play the Clippers, so back-to-back, huge game. I would be, from a rest standpoint, I'd be playing, guys. And I guess you maybe if you lose the Jazz game, you reevaluate a bit, but going into that game, if, if your situation is, hey, if we win this, we're able to lock in this seed, or if we lose it, this is where we're, our future is. You know, evaluate the importance of that single game and then act accordingly. It's late in the season. You do the load management. You do the injury management. You rest, guys, to be in a situation like this where you control your destiny. And these are the games that matter. This is a critical game. I know it's at, on the road, but it's in LA against your rival. Go beat the hell out of them. I want AD playing. I want LeBron playing. I want to go out there and beat this team that's had the Lakers number for a number of years and reassert that dominance. And, you know, you can do all you want for the first 75 games of the year. By game 82, I want to be ahead of you. And that needs to be the mindset. Go get greedy. Go be the hunter and go after this team that has a lot of vulnerabilities. Go show the Russ stands how much we miss him or don't miss him and go out there and kick some butts. So those are some of the games ahead. Tom and I will be doing each of the remaining games in playback. I've got some, I've got an AMA coming up live stream on playback. I've got a series breakdown video coming up. If you haven't checked out, I I put out a a thread of tweets digging into the top 10 plays that the Lakers have run this season post all-star break or post trades, I guess I should say, and explain how every one of them works. So if you're like, hey, how do they, how do the Lakers run their offense? Go check that out. It'll go check that out. It'll tell you. Uh, Want to shout out friends of the podcast: TJ Tomotaji, Zach Harris, Q Daddio, iPod Shuffle, Romario, Chamber, Miguel, T Shuttleworth, Omar, Roy, Abdul Rahman, 
Keneal Mason, Eric, and Doppel, all for living us, living the high life with us in the owner's box of our Discord. Also want to shout out the Quartzide and Lower Bowl crews who support what we do. Um, if you want to get into the Discord, DM Tom, DM me, DM the podcast account, a five-star review of the pod, or check out the link in my bio on Twitter. It's uh, tinyurl.com slash support LakersXPod or LakersXPod, whichever you prefer. We'd be happy to get you in there, have more of those good conversations. This is our time of year. I'm hoping this is the Lakers time of year. We've got some fun stuff ahead, and I'm excited to you know, explore that all with y'all and uh, have a lot of fun while we do it. So thanks for stopping by. We'll see you next time.